Today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 28. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed who was bringing a man, ooh, bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth and said to him, Follow me. <laughs> and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. I'm curious as to what comes to mind, what thoughts conjure up in perhaps your heart and in your mind when I mention uh, the term authority. Your first thoughts. There is no doubt that some positive things uh, come to mind. But I'm also sure confident that it sparks some visceral reaction in you. Authority is not a popular term in our day. Now the dictionary defines authority as the power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. Another, another dictionary uh, defines it as the power or right to give orders or make decisions and enforce obedience. Authority, I would suggest, is not a bad thing like some would have you to believe. Now, I know authority gets a bad rap because authority throughout history has been grossly misused and abused. Sadly, we saw this abuse firsthand this week. In the awful murder of Tyree Nichols at the hand of five Memphis police officers. Just a gross, awful abuse of authority. Governments, administrators, churches have sadly all used their authority, not for good, but often to do harm. They have taken the power that is inherent within their authority and have wielded it to take advantage of people or simply for their own personal gain. A history 
of this abuse has led people then to be, to be skeptical of, uh, of authority, to challenge and even resist it at times. Now, please understand, sometimes authority has to be challenged and, and, and even resisted because it's just abusing people. But it seems like we want to throw authority out altogether by resisting it in any form. And while this bucking of authority seems to be more pronounced in our day, uh, the reality is ever since the garden, men and women have been challenging authority. Brothers and sisters, this is the nature of sin. You see, you and I were created to be led. We were created to respond and to thrive under authority. But sin has tainted both those who hold authority and those who are under it. And it has left what sin always leaves, namely a mess. Sin, in particular, is what causes us to resist the authority of God. But you do understand to resist the authority of God is to resist good authority. Yes, while we see police officers and politicians and pastors abuse authority, Jesus, who was given all authority in heaven and on earth, his is an authority that is never tainted with sin. His power is never abused. And this is the authority that Jesus operated with here on earth. But just like we see, just like when sin entered the world, his authority was challenged at every turn. And never more do we see Jesus' authority being challenged than when he interacted with religious folk. Hence, one of the purposes behind our text this morning. During, during this encounter with the paralytic that we are going to explore uh, this morning, Jesus is going to accomplish several purposes, like he does often with many of his encounters. He's got multiple purposes behind the encounters that he has with individuals. But ultimately, what you will see here is that he is seeking to show forth his authority, his, his authority and power to forgive and his authority and power to heal. That's what we're going to see in our text this morning. So Luke continues to communicate to us, as we learned last week, the warp and the woof of Jesus' ministry. Wherever he went, you could find Jesus teaching and preaching. And like Pastor Tony mentioned, the content of those sermons and lessons were focused on himself, G Jesus as king and the kingdom that he was ushering in. Sometimes, sometimes he would simply teach about the nature of his kingship and the kingdom, and other times he would demonstrate it. And then there would be times he would do both. <laughs> this was Jesus' M.O. 
He would be going, he'd go from city to city, hillside to hillside, synagogue to synagogue, preaching and teaching. And we also know that he was healing folks, that he was healing people. Luke tells us earlier in his gospel that Jesus, actually just prior to our text, that Jesus had just healed a, a leper. And, and you remember what happened with the, the demon-possessed man who was in the, the synagogue. Jesus cast out the demon, and the man was restored back to health. Thrown to the ground, but unharmed. Jesus cast out this demon. Jesus was teaching and preaching and, and wowing and, and wowing uh, his, his hearers with, with his content and, and his powerful words, things they had never heard before. And, and then, then here he was healing, healing folks and, and cleansing lepers with, with a word. I mean, this was, this was amazing stuff. They, they were blown away. This is Elijah and Elisha type stuff that they had only read about. And here it was happening before their their eyes. Therefore, it is, it is not hard then to understand why the house that Jesus was teaching in that day was packed. It was full of people. Jesus was in Capernaum, Mark tells us that where he had been before, and, and his celebrity status is on level 10. Now, I don't think that people's fascination with celebrities and influential people is a new phenomenon. <laughs> Just like people flock to hear gifted preachers or, or musicians or politicians in our day, they were flocking to Jesus to hear his teaching, to perhaps catch a glimpse of him, to, to maybe be an eyewitness to these miraculous healings that he was performing. The house, you understand, brothers and sisters, was packed with people. And it was packed with people who were there for a myriad of reasons. Some were there to genuinely learn. They, they, they heard about this this rabbi who, who taught with authority and, 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 and who had words that were powerful and said things that they, people didn't understand. Others were there because they were curious. I need to know more about this man. And then others were skeptical and wanted to hear more. Amongst the crowd, Luke tells us, were the Pharisees, and the scribes. These were men who were considered religious authority amongst the Jews and were highly respected for their knowledge and their piety. If, if anyone could make sense of Jesus, certainly it would be the Pharisees and the scribes. If anyone could confirm this authority with which he was teaching with, then it had to be the Pharisees and the scribes. If anybody could, they could. Or could they? Could they? Luke informs us 
that Jesus was teaching. And, and he was, of course, teaching with authority because that's what Jesus did. We, we already know that is how he taught. Luke 4, 32 tells us that. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. He had authority. He, had, he was teaching with authority. But now, he was going to demonstrate that authority through a miracle. Through a miracle. Luke introduces us to five men who are on a mission. And, and four of these men are going to show us the blessing of having faith-filled friends. Faith-filled friends. Four, four of the five men were determined to get their one friend to Jesus. Luke tells us that four men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. That's, that's all we know about the man. We don't know his name. We don't know how long he was paralyzed. We know that he was paralyzed, laying on a bed, being carried by four of his friends. And, and of course, since they heard that Jesus was in town and that he could heal people, they obviously thought that Jesus was the one that could help their friend. So, they take him to the house where Jesus is, and there they, di they discover that there is no room. It's packed. There is no way that they're going to be able to push through this, this crowd, this packed house, with this carrying their friend on a bed. What are they going to do now? We've all been there where we're on a mission seeking to accomplish something super important and we, we run into an obstacle and we're stuck. What do we do now? Brothers and sisters, at that moment, those four friends, those four men could have begun to make excuses. They could have begun to complain. What, what are all these people doing here? Can't they see this man really needs to see Jesus? Or, oh well, maybe they, they just gave up. They, at that moment, they could have just given up. Oh well, I guess we're not going to get to see Jesus today. May, may, maybe we can come back and see him tomorrow. May, maybe he'll be in here again next week when he comes back through Capernaum. Brothers and sisters, they could have said, man, we tried. But it's not looking like it's going to happen today. But, but those were not his friends. He had faith-filled friends. Oh, what a blessing to be surrounded by those type of friends. Not just friends that will help but friends that will make sure you get the help you really need. <laughs> you need friends that will stop at nothing to take you to the feet of Jesus. Uh, Proverbs 17, 7 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born 
for adversity. Those, those brothers, those brothers are there that when adversity hits, they, they don't give up. If there are obstacles, they keep pressing through to get you to the feet of Jesus. They didn't stop. These friends didn't stop. Fueled by a belief that Jesus was not their friend's best option, Jesus was their friend's only option. Nothing was going to prevent them from getting to Jesus. They were determined. And so I guess standing there trying to figure out how are we going to get to this, our friend, to Jesus, they saw stairs on the side of the house. And they said, let's, let's carry him up on the roof. So they, so they took him up on the roof, and they began to remove tiles off the, off the roof. And um, we're assuming by ropes, let this man down into the house in front of Jesus, where he was teaching. Oh, what great friends. Because you do understand, obviously, this act could not go unnoticed. <laughs> Jesus sees there is packed. Everybody stops and looks at this man coming on a bed down into the house. That could not have gone unnoticed. But guess what? The men didn't care. They, they were going to get their friend to Jesus by any means necessary. They weren't studying how it would look. They weren't concerned about the obstacles because they had faith in Jesus. Faith looks pretty silly sometimes, and sometimes has others wondering, does it take all that? But when Jesus, when you are fixated on getting to Jesus, you are not concerned with, uh, with the path it takes to get there. They believed that only Jesus could help, no one else. They stopped at nothing, and they succeeded. They were able to get their friend to Jesus. Oh, what faith-filled friends. Can I encourage you to find friends like this? <laughs> Can I encourage you to, to surround yourself with, with, with brothers and sisters like this? Or better yet, why don't you be that friend? I want to be that friend that stops at nothing to get my brother or sister to Jesus. Now listen, they, they, they were not going through all of this because they believed their efforts, you know, them struggling to carry him, them, them getting him up the stairs. They, they weren't doing all of this because they thought their efforts would gain favor with Jesus. They were doing it because they thought their they weren't doing it because they thought their efforts would com, uh, would would uh, contribute to the to this man's healing. No, they had a faith in Jesus. They were trying to get him to Jesus because they believed that Jesus could heal him. And Luke says, in Luke five twenty, and when he, Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. 
Jesus responded to the faith of these men because Jesus always responds to faith. That is the testimony of Scripture. That Jesus responds to faith. You do remember the, the woman with the issue of blood. When Jesus was headed to Jairus' daughter, right, uh, there's a crowd pressing in on Jesus, and, and this woman with an issue of blood who has been dealing with it for numerous of years and had no other hope in this world, she sees Jesus walking, and she's in the crowd, and she says, perhaps I could go to Jesus and just touch his garment, and he will heal me. She touches his garment, and she is healed. And what does Jesus say to her in Mark 5 and 34? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Faith, Jesus responding to her faith. But it's not just there. We, we have another instance of that. The centurion who believed Jesus could heal his servant, remember, with just a word. He says, Jesus, I am a man under authority, uh, uh, over with authority, and I know you are a man that has authority, and I know that with a word you could heal him. You don't even have to show up. With a word you can heal him. And Jesus responded in Luke 7, 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus responds to faith. Those, those are just two accounts, but Jesus responding to the faith of those he encountered litters the gospel. Litters the gospels. It's all over. He saw their faith and responded. Jesus responded to their faith. But you might ask, whose faith? The faith of the men or the faith of the man? Well, yes. Yes. Luke says, when he saw their faith, he, he must mean the faith of all five men. Certainly the man who was paralyzed was not simply being dragged to Jesus, unaware of what was happening. He, he wanted to be healed. The testimony of Scripture is that Jesus helps those who want to be he helped. You remember the invalid at the pool of Bethesda? Jesus comes to him and he says, he asks him, do you want to be healed? <laughs> Jesus, and the man says, yes. So Jesus, Jesus responded to the faith of the paralyzed man. That you do understand, there was no other way for Jesus to pronounce that his sins were forgiven. His faith was a necessary part of the equation. Listen, faith in Jesus is the means God uses to dispense forgiveness to us. It is faith alone, in Christ alone, whereby forgiveness comes. Galatians 2 and 16 bears this out. Yet we know that a person is not justified, not made right, not forgiven by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Jesus responded to this man's faith. Paralyzed man's faith, he responded and said, your sins are forgiven. But we also shouldn't rush rush past the fact past the idea that he also responded to the faith of his friends, to the faith of his friends. The community of faith-filled believers is an important piece of the Christian life, brothers and sisters. There is no denying the collective trust in Jesus that is the body of believers. James 5, 14, and 15 tells us how, one way in, why, in how this might play itself out in the, in the community of saints. James 5, 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Here, James is telling us to, to call on the collective body of the saints, the elders here in this instance, to believe with you for, uh, for healing, for forgiveness of sins collective body of faith. Brothers and sisters, you must understand that believing with and for others is never in vain. We don't seek to take people to Jesus or beseech Jesus for and with them because we think he is one option No, we do that because we believe Jesus is our only option. He is our only hope in this world. Praying in faith uh, for healing and and, and for deliverance from sin, uh, believing God for growth and and the salvation of a a family member or, or a loved one. How many of us? Had, had grandmas and, and aunties praying for us. Praying for our salvation before Jesus actually snatched us out of the darkness and placed us into his marvelous light. No. They were praying with faith in Jesus to save. And the Lord delights to respond to faith. He does. He does. And, and so, and so, here's the exhortation, keep praying, right? Keep, keep bringing your, the people that you, you desire to see the Lord save, keep bringing them to Jesus. Keep, keep bringing the issues that you would like to see, and keep bringing them to Jesus. He delights to respond to faith. Now notice, Notice, I said, Jesus responds to faith. I chose that word respond carefully. I didn't say Jesus answers your request based on your faith. 
Listen, Jesus didn't answer. Think about it. Jesus didn't answer the request of the man and his friends. He didn't answer that request. Remember, they were coming to Jesus because their friend was paralyzed and they wanted to see him walk again. That's why they were bringing him to Jesus. That was the need, that was the request. At least they thought that was the man's greatest need and his greatest request. Jesus had greater things in store. He had a kingdom agenda that was going to bless the paralyzed man far beyond what he could think or imagine, and he was going to address the hearts in the room. He was going to use his authority to bless the faithful and expose the faithless. Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven you. Before the paralyzed man said a word, before pleading his case before Jesus, Jesus looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven. This is an amazing response and an even greater declaration. Jesus responded to the faith of this man, not first by healing his physical need. No, he addressed his spiritual need. Which, whether you realize it or not, trumps your physical need all day long. The amazing thing, it's amazing that he said that. But the amazing thing that that might quickly get lost on us is that Jesus doesn't say your sin is forgiven. Which then it could have been linked to the reason for his paralysis, right? So it, it would have given credence to the idea at the time that people experience physical disabilities as a result of some sin they committed or perhaps a family member committed. And so the idea is that Jesus is saying, I forgive you of your sin that caused this paralysis. But that's not what Jesus says. No, Jesus says your sins, plural, are forgiven. You do understand that this is a complete absolution of all his sins. The past sins he committed, the present sins that he was engaging in in his mind, the future sins that he would participate in, Jesus was covering them all. All. All he was covering. He was covering them all. <laughs> Jesus, was, listen, Jesus was not forgiving him for his sin. Jesus was forgiving him for being a sinner. That's why, that's what Jesus was saying there. Why? Because Jesus didn't come into the world simply to heal. He came into the world to save. That's what, that's what Matthew 1 and 21 says. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's the message of the gospel that Paul proclaims. 1 Timothy 1 and 15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world 
to save sinners of who I am, the foremost, the chief sinner. Jesus came to save. That was his mission. That is why he died. But in order for salvation to be ours, there needed to be, uh, the, be forgiveness of our sin, the guilt the punishment, the condemnation of our offense against God needed to be dealt with. So, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, you do understand that if you are saved this morning, it is only because your sin has been forgiven. If your sin is not forgiven, then you are still at enmity with God, deserving of his wrath. You are still condemned and deserving punishment. God is not welcoming someone into heaven whose sin has not been forgiven. But if you are in Christ, Jesus says to you, like he says to the paralytic, friend, your sins are forgiven you. They're forgiven you. On this past Wednesday, for Bible study. Uh, Wednesday night at, at Bible study, we were talking about some of the glorious blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. What that means, the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus, looking at Ephesians 1 and all of the glorious blessings that are there. One of which is the forgiveness of our sin. And Pastor Tony said it, and he is absolutely right, that we don't fully understand or appreciate or live in the light of the fact that Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. We don't live in light of that. Oh, listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man, is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Brothers and sisters, that is you when Jesus says that you are forgiven. Think about that. That is you when Jesus says you are forgiven, that your sin is covered. Your transgressions are no longer counted against you. No one can condemn you. To be forgiven then, you do understand, is to be blessed. It is to be contented. It is to be overjoyed. It is to be free. Are you living like that? I... I I, I'm not living like that. I know it. It's hard, but it's a reality. Jesus declares not just that your sin is forgiven, your sins are forgiven, covered, done with. Forgiven. Oh, that was the condition that this paralytic man found himself in. He was not yet physically healed. But spiritually, he was blessed. His legs may have still been lame, but his soul was now alive. 
Jesus had forgiven him all of his sins. Now, I'm not sure <laughs> how much that man grasped what happened that day, <laughs> what was going on in that moment. But it appears the religious folks, they knew exactly what was going on. Religious folks knew. They, they were good theologians, astute Bible scholars. And they rightly and quickly assessed what was going on. They knew the nature of sin and that ultimately all sin is an offense against God. Yes, yes, we sin against others, but ultimately the transgression is against God himself. That is what David exclaimed in Psalm 51 and 4. Against you only have I sinned. Wait, wait a second, David. What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What do, you, what do you mean? What about Israel? No, no. David says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The Bible is clear. All sin is against God. And therefore, as the Pharisees and scribes rightly reasoned, then sin can only be forgiven by God. For Jesus then to declare that this man was forgiven not just the sin, but all of his sin, meant Jesus must be equating himself with God. And if he was doing that, then in their minds, he was blaspheming. The, the logic, it makes sense. That's, that, the logic works. It computes. No one forgives someone on behalf of another. Think about that. No one forgives anyone on behalf of another. If you get offended or hurt by someone, and one of your friends goes to that individual and tells them you are forgiven that offense, you would be like, Wait a minute, wait a second. What right or authority do you have to forgive them for me? <laughs> I was the one who was offended. I was the offended party. This is why the Pharisees in their hearts, in their hearts, of course, they were not bold enough to say it out loud, said in verse 21, who can forgive sins but God alone? They reason rightly. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he looks at them and says, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I am about to show you that I not only can forgive sins, but have indeed given, been given the uh, divine authority to do so. <laughs> so Jesus exposes their hearts with a question. Luke 5 and 3, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Now, of course, at face value, that is an easy question to answer. 
Telling someone they are forgiven is no doubt easier than healing someone who is paralyzed. They, they would have answered like you did in your mind when you heard that question. Of course, it's easier to just tell somebody that their sins are forgiven rather than make somebody get up and walk who is paralyzed. But Jesus was setting them up to confirm their theological suspicions. In their midst was the eternal Son of God, God incarnate. Luke 5, 24 and 25. Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home. Immediately, immediately, at Jesus' word, like he did to the leper, cleansing him with the word, be clean, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Immediately, at his word, the man was healed. Jesus demonstrated his authority. His, his, his authority was confirmed by this healing. Before these Pharisees, that he also then had the authority then to forgive sins. Because, you see, they knew only God could heal with the word. And if Jesus had the authority well, <laughs> then forgiving sins was his prerogative too. The faithful, the faithful was healed, blessed by Jesus' authority, forgiven his sins, and healed, fully restored. And then the faithful, faithless was exposed Jesus exposed the hearts of those religious folk who, who, sought, who sought to challenge his authority. But the one who has all authority is not to be challenged, but to be trusted because he uses his authority for good. For good. Jesus, full of divine authority, used that authority to free a man who was in bondage both spiritually and physically. He did what he had told his hometown synagogue he had come to do, right? Namely, to set the captives free. Free, yes, from physical ailments at times, but ultimately free from guilt, free from shame free from the wrath of God, and free from the effects of sin on this world. That is the type of authority our hearts need and long for. How do I know? Because, yes, of how we understand it in our day, but because of how the people responded that day to this authority. Luke just says that they went home rejoicing and they glorified God. But Mark tells us of this same account in Mark 9 and 8. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, astonished, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Oh, they were overjoyed. They, they, they glorified when, when, when the people saw Jesus using his divine uh, uh, authority, they glorified God. 
They rejoiced because of it. They responded favorably to it. That is because you do remember the human heart is meant to respond and thrive under good authority, particularly the authority of God. We're meant to be led, meant to be under authority. And so Jesus, the king, once again, painted a picture of his kingdom. A kingdom, a kingdom where his authority is used to bless and not to curse. Used to free people and not to bind them. And if you are in Jesus, then that's the kingdom and the authority you are under. Oh, what's left to do then? Submit under that authority? And you know what? Tell others about the good king and the, his good authority that forgives sins and heals. Oh, brothers and sisters, there will be many who will look at the events that happened this past week with Tyree Nichols and say, we need to do away with all authority. Forget authority. Oh, we have a better word. Oh, don't resist authority. There's a good authority, the authority of the kingdom of God. And he doesn't use his authority to abuse. He doesn't use his power to demean others. No, he uses his authority, his power to free, free us from our sin and to heal us, to heal our souls, to bring us home, to be with him forever. That's the authority. That's the good authority of him.